Good evening, welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm your host, D. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. It's cracking there, Kate Rambo. I am tired and I am cranky and I have had a glass of wine. So good luck to you. Are you saying that to me or to the audience? To all of you. It is a fret and this is a warning. Don't push me. (laughs) I'm up to here. Get this woman a (laughs) bottle of wine. Get her at least another glass. It might end badly for all of us, but I will do it. I will drink. It shall be fine. Okay, Rambo, I don't think you'd be in that pissy of a mood if you lived in L.A. this weekend or last weekend. Why? Because it's Renfair season. I could have gone to Renfair. Huzzah! No, definitely not. That that would have put me in a very pissy <laughs> mood. Now, this weekend and last weekend is a great time to be in L.A. In fact, it's my favorite weekends of the year. Renfair? No. Coachella. Oh, my over my weird seven-day Adventist family uh, relations, they lived out near Coachella. So they used to just sit in their garden and watch all the bands for free. I wouldn't do that. The reason I like Coachella is because Coachella happens, you know, it's usually around this time. And so Coachella was first weekend was last weekend, second weekend this weekend. All of the assholes leave the city. So if you want to drive oh, across true. town, there's virtually no traffic. Like today, for example, I went, I went, got my hair cut in Echo Park and then I went over to Glendale because I had to run an errand. And Glendale to back to like West Hollywood would usually be like on a Saturday, like an hour, 25 minutes. This is such LA conversation right now. We're talking like how the Brits talk about whether LA people just talk about traffic. But you're going to realize that though, because it's not just that. Oh, I'll become one of you. But it's not just that. It's you go to Trader Joe's and there's not that many, there's not that many people in line. It's like all the assholes just kind of leave. I don't think you notice in the suburbs as much, but they all live in this neighborhood. They're Hollywood, West Hollywood, Silver Lake. You can go to a coffee shop in Silver Lake. You don't have to queue for fucking 10 minutes. It's, Coachella is one of my favorite times of year, not because of the festival. I couldn't give a shit about that. I'd rather cut my dick off than go fucking deal with that shit. But it makes L.A. actually a place that you'd enjoy living in. Only for those two weekends. <laughs> um, were, you, were you a fan of festivals? Did you, were you a festival goer? Of course I was a festival goer. In fact, I often live in fear and have like sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night really sweaty and like you know have a cold sweat about me because I worry that pictures of me at like the first ever Ozfest when I was 16 because there's famous pictures of people at that festival uh, might surface one day or there might be pictures of me at like Leeds or Reading that surface and I'm just like oh god please don't ever let it happen but once I went to ATP uh, once I went to Alto and Morris Parties Festival which sadly has now been discontinued oh, I never looked I never looked back. No, because that was done in a Butlins. And there is no better festival way to do a festival than inside of a Butlins. 
It's well, very I don't understand. British. What do you mean, butlands? So a butlands are like it's like a chain of seaside holiday resorts that families they've been going since like the fucking thirties here. They all and they would have the artists curate them. That's what I so liked I went, about ATP. I never went, but I know Nick Cave. I almost went to the one that Nick Cave curated. Which one? Who created? I think Bell and Sebastian created mine. Uh, created the first one. I went to mine. <laughs> like I was, oh, it was just for me. <laughs> they went to that one. So I saw all the postcard bands and all like, you know, the kind of Scottish tree indie bands. And then I went to the fucking, the, uh, the Wu-Tang Clan one. That was amazing. Oh, that cool. was like two years later. And I was going to go to the Swami John Reese one, but that's the one that they stuck the final nail in the coffin for. But I had put a down payment on for that. But when you, Butlins, you know, you've got chalets. So you've got your own bed, you've got your own bathroom, and then you've got the entire entire resort i could never go back to seeing like i'm too posh to camp i'm never going to be inside of a tent in a muddy field like oh my god just the far of the toilets like po- like part parties i will if i fucking have to but let me tell you i'm not doing it out of more than once i know it makes Ever me again. ill I'm too thinking old. about it yeah that's the thing with festivals like you know i i'm so old i went to the first Lollapalooza. i was young and it gave you it gave you skin cancer as well. So that's no, that was it. the third. Oh, <laughs> that you was went to yeah. three of them. <laughs> yeah, that, I, oh, I went to three, but those three were great Lollapaloozas. Those were the first three, with like all the bands were awesome. Um, I remember at the time I wasn't I wasn't really into Nick Cave, and I remember being like, because I was mostly just into metal, and I uh, I loved Ministry it was great. There were some amazing bands that played during that period, but I remember like Nick Cave was on, and which would have been an awesome time to see Nick Cave, and I was just like fuck it. It's not Slayer. Who cares? And I was just kind of like, you know, going somewhere else, whatever. But yeah, I think the one I got burned at was that it wasn't at the regular venue, Pine Nam. It was at My Land Dragway and there was like no shade and I didn't even think about wearing sunscreen and give a shit. And yeah, I got, yeah, I got really you? burned. I got, I, that sucked. And I had to like, one of my moles became um, cancerous and I had to get this whole chunk of skin taken out. Fuck, the whole experience sucks. So ever since then, I never go out in the sun, ever. And I would, I would never do that. I would never sit around shirtless in the sun. I wouldn't even want to deal with that. But festivals in general, like I went to La Palooza, I went to the Ozfests. I think the Ozfests were the last festivals, festival I've been to. Well, no, actually, we went to Cruel World. And we did that a couple of years ago. Yeah, Cruel World is okay, but it wasn't what I would call it. To me, a festival is like, you can't go for one day. You got to go all weekend. Oh, That's a festival. that. Fuck that noise. Yeah, fuck I would never do that. that. Even Cruel World, I was reaching Cruel my World. peak of, I am bored now and I, I have to leave. By the time Morrissey was on, you were hangry. You were like, we're getting out of here. I remember I you hungry. wanted to leave. Yeah, my feet hurt and I was just like thirsty and I just wanted to get away from all the people. That's my thing about festivals. It's like, that's why I liked ATP because if you wanted to get away from it, you were just like, should we just fuck off back to our chalet and have some like Lambrini? You're like, yeah, and we so can go and posh, hang out in the chalet. Glamping. And the best, and the, yeah, and the best thing about it as well is it had, the other thing I loved about ATP was it had ATV TV. So you would have ATP TV. So it would have like all the music documents. Like that's where I saw the Radio Birdman documentary for the first time and like Arthur Kane documentary for the first time. And you would just be like, oh, I can skip whatever band is on now <laughs> to watch the Arthur Kane documentary and drink some Lambrini with a cocktail glass. Well, like Cruel World, this ATP. I mean, I guess at the time you were age appropriate for that. I guess I'm probably, we're probably age appropriate for Cruel World because it's a lot of the bands are- 
you know, from like the eighties or whatever. But I feel like Coachella, like, first of all, I was reading through the lineup because I was looking at it because I didn't even know who was playing Coachella. And I've noticed in in recent years, because I almost went to the first Coachella when the Stooges played. Because I had a friend, uh, my friend Kessler, was going with a group of people. I just couldn't get the time off of work. Was that when Ashton was doing it or not Ashton? No, uh, that both Ashton brothers are still alive back then. And it was, yeah, but they were in and out of the Stooges. I would only have gone if both. I can't no, imagine that, Ron Ashton and Coachella. It was the original lineup of the Stooges, and it was the first time they reunited. So it was like a really big deal, and they headlined. And plus, back then, like Coachella was mostly rock and roll. I mean, rock and roll, but also hip hop, and they kind of made it, you know, it was diverse. But now it's like all electronic music. In fact, I'm so old, I don't even know any of the headliners. I guess, okay, I take it back. So the first night's. Bad Blondie. Bunny, never heard of Bad Bunny, but Gorillas. I remember. You remember Gorillas? Yeah, Matt Damon, of course. No, not Matt, not Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Album. Yeah, Matt Album. Damon Album. I'm sorry, I've had a glass of wine. Damon yeah. Album from uh, Blur, Matt right? Damon. Is he from Blur? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I forget the other dude. I forget the other guy. But and then the second night, Black Pink and Rosalia. Do you know either one of those? No, but it's like, oh, this is the Coachella game, though, where you have to think, are these made up or are these real bands? No. Well, the reason and I'm speaking to some dudes in a band called Asian Babes. But well. the reason we're saying that is because we're so removed from this scene and also probably way older. Like the median age is 24 at Coachella. Yeah, so- but Leeds and Reading Fest used to all be rock bands. And now half the time it's shit like this. And you're like, how the mighty. There fall? aren't. I you know, my at- dad played the first ever Reading Festival as an aside. He was the first ever band on the first ever Reading Rock and Blues Festival. Oh, man, thank you, you for that. Thank you for that humble brag. Um, the, thir- <laughs> <laughs> the third night is Frank Ocean and Bjork. Now, Bjork's kind of cool. Yeah. That's an artist I know. Frank but the Ocean. only reason I know that is because I'm old. I'm too old for Coachella, and I realize that. I guess there was some controversy with uh, the Frank Ocean guy. Can't even name a song by Frank Ocean. Do you know a song by Frank, him? Frank Ocean's, oh my God, why can't I remember his name right now? So the everyone, every British person ever is shouting at me. Keith, somebody or whatever, had the ITV show with Holly Big Titties. He pretended that Frank Ocean was his dad. Uh, so that's the only reason I know Frank Ocean. But Blondie played Coachella. I mean, I would not pay even a dollar to go see Blondie these days. But I mean, she was there. Oh, she was on the bill too. She wasn't one of the headliners. She must have was played. She not? To- no. Can't but say she, she had have- a fab outfit. She looked she, great. She must have played towards the top. I heard Bjork did this crazy thing with um, with drones or something. But then uh, Frank Ocean, apparently yeah. there's some controversy. He dropped out. Like he did a really terrible performance. And then he dropped out because he said he broke his ankle. On stage? No. He fractured, two fractures and a sprain in his left leg from preparing for the, uh, for the performance. Oh and so, he, some... so this weekend, he's not performing. And his whole note was to the people that bought tickets to see him, because I guess he hasn't performed in six years. He just said, there's beauty in chaos. That's it. That's it. Oh, right. Firstly, I'd be like, that's some pretty big balls on you, Frank Ocean, for assuming that anyone. Or is it Billy Ocean? I don't know who you're talking about. Are you talking about Billy Ocean, the Caribbean queen? <laughs> yes. From the 80s? That's, that's Keith's dad, is Billy Ocean. So I don't, Maybe Frank Ocean is Billy Ocean's Wait, are you older son. or younger than me? 
Because <laughs> <laughs> I know the difference between Frank Ocean and fucking Billy Ocean. I know that both have ocean is the last name. It's simple. I don't know which ocean. It's any ocean. <laughs> it could be anything. But uh, you know how bad I am at geography? I'm just as bad as my oceanography. Like, I can't tell. I know where the Atlantic is. I know where the Pacific is. Don't ask me where the fuck else any other ocean is. Well, apparently don't you know. don't know your ocean. <laughs> I don't know where Billy Ocean is. I don't know where Frank Ocean is. There's somewhere. Well, so Frank dropped out this weekend. He was replaced by Blink-182 and Skrillex. Oh, right. So I do know both of them. I know both of them. I'm and not I've, fans of either I of have them. zero interest in seeing either. But so apparently... Uh, Ocean's performance last weekend, it started an hour after the scheduled start time. So it was supposed to be, he was supposed to play for two hours, only played for about an hour. And it went past the curfew. Apparently there's a curfew at Coachella. And so they have an agreement that Golden Voice will be fined 20 grand if a performer goes past the, the 12 a.m. curfew, plus $1,000 a minute every, at starting at the six minute after that curfew. So they got charged a shitload of money because that dude went over. And I don't even know who he is, but it does remind me of that time when Billy Joe Armstrong kicked off because Green Day had met the curfew and they like shut the lights and turned the electricity off and he has, and he has a total like spoiled Victorian child moment. Yeah, no, he had a that? tantrum, but that wasn't at Coachella. No, that wasn't at Coachella, yeah, but that's what that, was that, that reminds venue. me of. But, Brilliant. But that makes sense. Though, but that makes sense because his whole audience is composed of minors. Like, how many of those people in there are over 18? It's like an all-ages show, and most of them are around 12 to 14. they got to be home by 11. Some of Green Day's biggest fans, D, are your age. And that, that is sad. That is very <laughs> sad. Um, during the performance, Ocean was an hour late. He came out, and he lip-synced most of the songs without even having a microphone in his hand. <laughs> I'm about to sound like Nicky Graham of Big Brother, but who is he? Who I even is he? But, like, why do I care? Who but is what he? balls does this guy have to come out an hour late, not even Lip-sync. sing the songs, and then he would sit with his back to the crowd, and at certain points, he would hand the DJ over to a piano-playing young boy whom he said <laughs> represents his inner child, and the young boy would play for like 20 minutes. Is this guy the new Kanye? This feels like something <laughs> Kanye could have done. I don't know. Back, He's Kanye. smoking whatever Kanye is smoking. And so the funniest thing about it, and I actually I do kind of give him props for this. Um, he Coachella, he, he made Coachella get an entire onstage ice rink at the last minute. So he was like, <laughs> he told them, he's like, I'm not performing unless you get a fucking ice rink. This is in the desert. It's in the desert. It's fucking hot as hell over there. They got 100 local hockey players that were set to join the performance on ice. And at the last minute, he injured his ankle. He's like, not doing the ice thing anymore. So they had it all set up and they were supposed to do it. But he's like, yeah, we're not going to do it. So then the Coachella employees had to melt the ice. They had to go out there and do an emergency melt with all this heating equipment to melt the ice. And then they didn't know what to do with the hockey players because they already paid them. So they had them just be background dancers. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) And then he barely spoke at all to anyone during the crowd. And at one point he said, the only reason he's here is because he and his brother 
His brother, who died in a car accident back in 2020, used to go to the festival together. So this is special for him. Well, he's going to use that to get sympathy points, but I don't think he should. He hasn't been getting much sympathy. People are just good. I hope he's being pilloried. Yeah, no, people is being lambasting him across social media. Some people are like, well, you know, he's affected by his brother and he's got mental health issues, but it's like, dude, come on. Could you imagine those guys are out there with hair blowers trying to melt the ice? Do you know what? I don't understand why these people who aren't like, there's only a certain amount of people I I will expect and respect this behavior from like you know beyonce could get away with this celine dion could get away with this beyonce mariah carey could get away with mariah might do that shania twain could get away with this these are people who could be like i want an ice drink get it for me now or i'm not performing and i'd be like yes mistress i will do anything for you mistress but if frank ocean's asking that for me i'd be like who the fuck are you i'm just amazed that they bent over backwards for this guy and he pretty much told him to fuck off and so, his performance was shit. Well, the thing is, I'm amazed that people are even into Coachella. Like, I had a few people at my work were going, taking the whole weekend off in a couple of days next week just because they're driving you, down there camping. I've heard you have to do a lot of walking, just even from the entrance, because I follow this YouTuber, I've followed her for years, she's called Blair Walnuts. I'm sure a lot of people follow Blair Walnuts here. But she did. She went to Coachella last year as like an expose on what Coachella is like. And even just from the fucking entrance to get to like the arena, you're walking over a mile. And it's really fucking hot too. And it's fucking hot. And water costs like $20 a bottle. Like why would you do that to yourself? Well, it's just for photo ops and to be seen. Water's a bit cheaper, but I'll get to that in a minute. Do you know how much it costs to go to Coachella? It'll be into the grands, won't it? A tier one pass price for general admission is five hundred and forty nine dollars. Oh, that's before not as that's before as fees. So it's probably like around six twenty or something. Tier that's two about the price of Reading and Leeds, yeah. Tier two is five seventy four. This is ridiculous. I would never pay that much money to go to fucking Coachella. Tier three, five ninety nine. And tier four is six forty nine. Now if you want VIP which you can go to VIP. You're not going to get anything with VIP except for like an area close to the stage and there's shade in VIP. A oh, VIP is ticket is $1,069. I know download does VIP over here, but VIP area means you get better camping and they provide you with like TP camping and you get really nice, you get like a real bathroom and stuff. So I then it's you, worth it, I think. I think but why would you a pay better... a thousand quid to go to a festival? Go to fucking the Maldives. Mental. Right? Mental. Yeah, go go take a trip to like fucking Thailand or something. It's fucking crazy. And then the food. The food is ridiculously expensive. Some uh, I'm never good. Some festival goer went on TikTok and she's kind of went viral for posting uh, her picnic that she got. There are only four items. She got two coffees and two burritos. Cost $64. That's LA though, isn't it, babe? Come on. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's that's a lot of money. She said this is the shittiest part of Coachella. No, all of it's shitty, woman. <laughs> and according to this website, uh, Groove Cartel, a fried chicken sandwich costs around 17 to 20. A grilled cheese will be 16. And if you want to get mm-hmm. crinkle cut fries, $14. I could smash a, a grilled cheese and crinkle cut fries now. Yeah, but that's going to cost you like 32 bucks. It's worth it. It's worth it right now. <laughs> a Red Bull and vodka will be 20 bucks. Beer's around 20 An oat milk latte will be $15. Uh, oh but if you God. want a water, it's only 2 bucks. So water's oh, see, actually reasonably priced. 
But all this is doing is it's in, it's encouraging you to fucking take a lot of ecstasy, take a lot of mandy, take a lot of any other drugs, because you certainly can't get drunk here and you can't eat the food, so you might as well be off your nut on ching. Yeah, but then you have to listen to that bo- music. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, to me, Ugh. when I used to take good MDMA back in the day when there was actually MDMA in the drugs, I would li- listen to I would listen to techno and I would dance because you don't care. God, I don't know. I don't even, I can't think of all the, the Molly in the world that would make me listen to fucking Frank Ocean or Black Pink. I don't even know what he sounds like. I don't even know <laughs> what type of music Frank Ocean makes. To tie this into the, uh, the, the intro of the show here, I was thinking like, why don't more serial killers take advantage of this of this event Ooh. to prey on inebriated Coachella ground. attendees? Because you think it'd be perfect. Like if you're an opportunistic serial killer, this must be your favorite time of the year because you're like, there's going to be a bunch of drunk chicks in their early 20s all hopped up on fucking Molly or ecstasy or whatever, walking around. You can't catch a Lyft or Uber. It's impossible to catch one. And they want to get back to their campground. So you just pull up with your van with like an airbrushed bad bunny mural on the on the side, blasting some Frank Ocean. And you're like, you want to ride? I got, I got some marijuana. Got some weed here. And then they get in your car. Next thing you know, murder. Dead. Do murder. you think I would... I would get kicked out of Renfair if I went into Renfair dressed as like a female Ted Bundy and went up to like a, hello, wench, my arm doth have the cast. Would thou helpest me with my books to my automobile? Do you think I would get kicked out? I don't think you'd get kicked out, but people would be curious as to what you're doing. I don't, see, that's the thing with the female Renfair. Female Ted Bundy, I'm doing it. I would rather, if I had to choose, I'd rather go to Renfair than Coachella. Well, next year, I'm going to go as Theodora Bundy, and we should choose a, a female serial You could go as Al Wernos. <laughs> You'd look like Sebastian Bach. How about it's, next year, you can go with some of your new L.A. friends to that, because I fucking hate the Ren Fair almost as much as I hate Coachella. And actually, I hope the friends. serial killers come out to both, but really, they should focus on coming out to Indio next weekend, because next weekend... Is a different festival that they do in uh, in Indio right after Coachella called Stagecoach. It's basically the Coachella for contemporary country music. <gasps> oh my God! <laughs> I wish oh, Stephen Paddock was still alive and he could have gone for that instead of Vegas. Come back to life, Stephen Paddock. <laughs> uh, could you imagine going to that? <sighs> anyway, no. I'm sure Gerald and Charlene Gallego though. Would have loved oh, to take advantage go. of all the young girls attending Coachella. <laughs> so this week, uh, we're going to chat about the murderous rampage that left at least 10 young people dead across California between uh, 1978 and 1980. And it's brutal. It really is. But before we get into that, let's have a candid conversation about the uh, Sick and Wrong Patreon, which is way cooler than Coachella. So if you're a fan of this show... And you support indie podcrafting, fine indie podcrafting, indie podcrafting, because we're not backed by any kind of network and we're trying not to be because we want to support ourselves. Um, then we ask that, that you just sign up for the Sick and Wrong patron, support Sick and Wrong. Just give us a couple bucks. It's, that's all we're asking. It's not that much money. Um, and you get something in return. You get access to the Sick and Wrong second show. Every week we do a full bonus show. And this week I have a special treat. I do. Um, I was going through looking for um, kind of looking for some uh, uh, old, actually um, old uh, iterations of my book because I'm 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 
re-editing, getting ready to do a second edition. And in it, I found this, uh, like a folder on my hard drive of just a bunch of like old outtakes that I recorded with Harrison like five years ago. And this one that I found is amazing. It's amazing. We never played on the show because he didn't want me to, but he goes into detail about meeting up with an older couple in Sacramento for a threesome. Oh, I kind of remember him touching upon this story. But he never went into detail about it. No, and this is and, detail. And this sexy. isn't just like, I'm not talking like a you know, middle-aged, 40, 50-year-old couple. I'm talking like a 70, 80-year-old couple. Harrison was not scared. No, Harrison was adventurous. <laughs> so I found this on my hard drive, and I've never played it on the air. Going to play it on the second show this weekend. So people, there's a reason to sign up for the Patreon exclusive content like that five bucks a month and if you don't want to sign up for patreon you don't have to anymore you can go to apple Podcasts. we actually have second show posted every week on uh, apple Podcasts now and you can subscribe right through uh right through that so um it's just a lot easier to support the show also uh for a few dollars more you get access to our bonus episode uh sigmong overkill uh kate just did a uh an, an episode on uh clyde barrow before he met bonnie he was an Aries, right? He is an last of the Aries outlaws. Yeah, it's just about. I'm probably going to make it like a year long kind of series, and I'm going to do several things. I'm going to do Clyde Barrow. Eventually, I'll get to Bonnie, but I'm going to do Blanche Barrow next because um, I, I love the Barrows. Like I'm into it. And then, it, when, in fact, when we're coming back from Vegas, I will insist that we are going to go and see the car again. <laughs> we did. We took some pictures last time. No, we're going to go again, D. We're going again. <laughs> sure. It was easy. It's right off the highway. Um, and for a few dollars more, too, at that same at that same level, you get access to the archives. First 10 years on SoundCloud playlists. All available on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash sickandwrong. We do appreciate you uh, keeping this show going. So let me play this quick promo, and then let's chat about the Sacramento sex slave murders. Hi, guys. Stuart here. I'm just calling in to get this off my chest. All you listeners out there, why are you not signing up for the Patreon? Seriously, these two fine people do the show next to having a regular job, and you don't feel the need to support them. So sign up to the Patreon today. You're not helping a Jew through college, but through his midlife crisis. And Kate is packing her shit to live in California. Both of these things are not cheap. They give so much and ask for so little. So do it now and keep the show going. Dee and Kate, you're doing a great job. Love you guys. Stuart out. The year is 1977. Elvis is dead. Punk is alive. And Roman Polanski is arrested and charged. But 1977 would see a meeting of the minds that would result in some of the most revolting sex pests that you've never heard of. Well, you might have heard of them, but I, like, I'd never really heard of these people. Had you? Are they you California know, famous, maybe? I think in the if you're from Northern California, you would know about, like, some of the things that happened in Sacramento specifically. There's some killers up there that, like the Golden State Killer. You know, a lot of people were very familiar with that guy's Oh, crimes. yeah, but he's like world famous now. I yeah, don't, think, but like I don't the, think this couple is covered on podcasts very much. I forget the, uh, the, the woman who is the, that was having sex with the people in the morgue. We cover, me and Harrison covered oh, her. Oh, my hero. Her, yeah. Yeah. But then this, this couple also is, is very well known in the area. But people outside that area, I had never heard of them until we were doing research. Yeah, because, I mean, 
we all know about Ian and Myra. We covered that in my very first very drunken episode of uh, 759, which I can never listen to again because I was drunk. I, I drank a bottle of wine during that, so I'm probably saying mental shit. Was that the first official episode or was it the first time you were hosting? First time hosting. Oh, okay. Wasted. Right. Uh, Paul and Carla, the hotties. Fred mm. and Rose, hotties in their youth. And we had Catherine and David Burney, and we covered them in episode number 865. But this couple is more disgusting, more degrading, and they're downright murderous out there. And they're also one of the first husband and wife serial killers in kind of modern history. And their names are not Dean Kate. It's uh, Charlene Williams and Gerald Armand Gallego. Is it? I think it's Gallego. Is how you say I want to say Gallego. I like that because it's almost like the video game, like Gallego. Um, yeah. So they're kind of known as that that term for husband and wife killers or, or partners like is is folie a deux, folie the madness a deux. of two, which is known as like a shared psychosis. So it's when two or more people share the same delusions, basically. And a lot of the the people that suffer from folie a deux are either related by ancestry or marriage. But it kind of goes with uh, you know the the age old saying, the couple that slays together stays together. Eric and Dylan weren't related, and they weren't married. They were just special. But they, but they, I would, I would say they kind of had the the same suffer from the same delusions. I wonder if they were involved. I do often I wonder totally about that. I totally think that Eric and Dylan gave each other hand jobs at the least, or at least winked in front of each other. That's kind of what I think. Maybe, maybe not full yeah. on like contact, but I bet you they whipped their dicks out in the same room, watched a porn, and winked together. I mean, all, all the boys did that back then. Didn't they? Uh, Martin is like Martin did. used to be in the back of the car wanking and Steele would be driving. Yeah, but I don't think Steele approved of that behavior and I don't think Steele <laughs> reciprocated. No, but it none of my friends wanked in front of me. That was something we did not do. I know we, <laughs> we all wanked, but we did in the privacy of our own bedrooms. I have never wanked in front of a friend, to my knowledge. It could have happened, you know, things happen. So this pair are first going to meet in a poker club in September of seven, 1977 in Sacramento. Uh, Gerald's pants got a little bit tighter for this five-foot blonde with the blue eyes. He was 31. She's 21. But because she's so petite, she could have passed for a schoolgirl, which is totally a turn-on in the 1970s. You've just got to ask Roman Polanski. And it's or, also a turn-on for Gerald. Or Jimmy Page. Or Jimmy Page, or Dave Bowie, or all yeah. of them. They were all shaking. Let me just, I'm just saying this, a, a million listeners are about to turn off. Yeah, our millions of listeners. But, you know, I was 15, ready to fuck. Let's put it out there. Gerald had been dealt a bad hand in life. He'd been born uh, July the ni- July 17th, 1946. His mother is a low-rent Sacramento streetwalker. And his father, Gerald Albert Gallego. I'm saying Gallego, and you're saying Gallego. It's Gallego. Diego uh, was the first man executed in Mississippi's brand new gas chamber on March the 3rd, 1955. So it was a botched job. He coughed, he choked, he wheezed. He had less than a lethal cloud of cyanide gas. Finally, after some 45 minutes, whilst the officials are, are like working really hard to correct the problems, the repairs were completed and he died shortly afterwards. Gerald Sr. had killed a cop. He had then engineered a prison breakout of death row by giving a guard a face full of acid, followed by a fatal beating, followed by the biggest manhunt in Mississippi at the time. you got to think of Cool Hand Luke here. 
And if you think that's bad, even by 1950s standards, well, you're going to get a load of his son, who's a real chip off the old block. Have you seen pics of Gerald Sr.? Yeah, he's hot. Yeah, there's a picture of him. He's got like tattoos. Like he's got, I mean, full sleeve tattoos on both arms from back in like 1955. Me and like Gerald, uh, me and Truman Capote are like getting our fans out and like, oh Lord, eh? <laughs> we see him. He definitely had this like rockabilly, like Mike Ness kind of look to him. It's mustachioed as well. Gerald Judian is eventually going to draw two glass chamber invites of his own for his own diabolical crimes. But he actually grew up never having met his wayward mustachioed sexy father. It is the mustache as well. He's got like a kind of John Waters-y mustache going on. Have you always been attracted to mustaches? Like previous boyfriends have mustaches or is this like a recent thing? I have encouraged every single boyfriend I've ever had to grow a mustache. And must I say, I have about a 99% success rate of making them all grow mustaches. But I mean, every boyfriend you've had, you've always been into. Did Drunk Dan have a mustache? No, I just think men with mustaches. Like I don't like beards and I don't like goatees. Mustaches are super sexy. Yeah, I guess... I mean, I, I I don't think I could grow one for you because I can't even grow facial hair. I'd have like a you patchy could... mustache that like you'd have when you're like a 17-year-old. I think when you're older and we're talking like in your 70s, when you're in your velvet suit era, you could do a total John Waters mustache and you will look fabulous. Well, I'm not making any promises. I'll draw it on for you. I'll get the <laughs> eyeliner out every morning. Criminologists are going to say that Gerald had the cards stacked against him, but there are plenty of people who bloom from the mud that they were grown from, although it depends on if you're growing roses or stink blossoms, I guess. Well, Gerald was kind of fucked if you think about it, because he had career criminals on both sides of the family. So his DNA was just all criminal. He's going to go that way. So his mother would frequently beat him, as would her clients. She would invite her clients in to beat him. And he was emotionally and physically neglected. He was underweight, skinny, and he often begged his teachers and schoolmates just, just for them to hug him. Just for them to hug him. Just well, Harrison did that. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I, he didn't beg. <laughs> <laughs> he paid. He paid. At 10, he committed his first robbery, but uh, Gerald's first brush with the law came when he was 13, when the parents of a six-year-old claimed that he had sexually assaulted her. Because they're both so young, and it was different times back then, he got a slap on the wrist, but in the upcoming years, he was going to be arrested at least 23 times, seven of which were felony convictions. But because you literally can blame society at the time, the revolving doors of the legal and prison systems meant that he was able to roam the streets time and time and time again. It is shocking how lenient they were back then. Like, I mean, Gerald committed egregious crimes out like a few months later, committing crimes again. It's just, (laughs) I mean, I don't think they cared about recidivism. I don't think they cared about any of that at the time. Well, I don't want to get like too deep into it because it's like a whole other thing. But one, I just don't think the prisons were built to house so many people back then. But I also think the judges were a lot more fairer because prison is a dead end. Prison isn't meant to be a dead end. Prison is meant to rehabilitate you. But I do think that the judges were like, we're going to try and make it work. And For white people. For your white, Gerald, so it's going to be fine for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Like his father, Gerald inherited some of his good looks and his belligerent attitude. And he has bad boy acne scars, which I'm also attracted to. Like, you know, Brad Pitt has the acne scars. It looks good. This is only going to make him more appealing to certain ladies like me. And this was reflected in the fact that he had been married not once, not twice, not thrice, but five times by the time he's 30. (laughs) Yeah, he's quite the catch. So by the time that he meets Charlene, he was single and he's ready to mingle. Unlike Gerald, Charlene had come from a good family background. She's born October the 10th, 1956 in Stockton, California. So he's Cancer, she's Libra. This is a terrible match. His father was a vice president. Her father was a vice president of a chain of supermarkets. And because of this, he and his wife would frequently travel and they're going to leave Charlene alone for long periods of times. So they were well off, definitely, especially living in Stockton. Uh, to quote John Fogarty, she's silver spoon in hand. She yeah, has a lot sure. of money. Fortunate son, daughter. <laughs> Fortunate daughter. During one of their trips, Charlene's mother was mangled in a car accident and she becomes a leg mental. So Charlene's going to take her mother's place, which is weird, during business trips. And her reputation was being bright. She's well-educated and she's articulate. This all preceded her. She's quiet, but she did very well in school. She was, in fact, an honors student, and she's a musical prodigy. And she walked the line until puberty came a knock in. If you've ever seen the movie 13, or to quote Cecilia from Virgin Suicides, kinda, if you've ever been a 13-year-old girl, then you'll understand. She tuned in, she turned on with her sexy and Nubian boyfriend, and she took a lot of the drugs that were flying around California in the late 1960s. She drifted along. She never went to university, despite the fact she was really intelligent she, and she's well off enough to do so. Her parents would have paid for it. Of course, and they had lots of money. She ended up working meager job after meager job, and she was mainly despised by her co-workers at a lot of her do- jobs because she developed a reputation as a slut. And not a fun slut like me or a lot of the other female listeners listening. She's like one who would shag anything. Like she comes around to your house and the fish stops swimming. You dig. (laughs) You know, the trajectory of her life really did change. Like her life shifted. Like she could have gone to university. You know, uh, she could have got a degree in something. She could have lived a normal successful life, but she started using drugs and alcohol and she definitely went off the deep end. She, and you know, she was overly flirtatious. Um, that's why her coworkers hated her because she developed this reputation as an infomaniac. And she, she was, she was. I mean, she was uh, very sexually uh, prolific, especially at that time, considering her age. So her first husband, whose name is never revealed. And I mean, who can blame him? He's going to divorce Charlene because of her insatiable sexual appetite and because her parents are going to regularly interfere in their relationship. There's a whole other story about Charlene and her parents. Uh, It's in the book that I used a lot of this research from. Can't remember the name of the book right now, but at the end, I'm going to name the book. They were definitely helicopter parents. Yes. She quickly remarried to a squaddy, but that relationship also fell apart and she was constantly trying to date married men so that she could have threesomes with them and their wives <laughs> hence why everyone at work hates her just before she met gerald she had attempted suicide but the razor blade never stuck and this is how she entered the relationship and the idea of getting to eat young pussy it's also going to fill her with extreme excitement because she's eager to please gerald 
but he needed more from the relationship than that she could ever give him. Namely, he wants to fuck children. This is his main thing, as well as fucking all his wives. His previous four wives, he actually married one of them twice. They'd learnt this. They'd been obviously disgusted by this, but Charlene wasn't. Well, I think Charlene's also a bit of an opportunist because she's enamored with munching box. So it's like they both can kind of work together and get what they want. Yeah. And Charlene's also used to the fruple lifestyle because her first husband's super wealthy. He's super addicted to heroin. And Charlene would regularly bring prostitutes into the marital bed to kind of satisfy her pussy-eating tendencies. And that's one of the reasons that he ended up leaving her. Within a week of meeting Gerald, they'd moved in together. They spent all their time fucking, and they're pushing the boundaries of their sex life. They're trying kinky shit, with Charlene acting as the sub to Gerald's dom. She shaved off all her body hair. She plays a schoolgirl character called Krista, which is also the name of Gerald's daughter, to appease and entice him. It's such a white trash name. Um... (laughs) Would you be freaked out, though, if your partner asked you to do that? Like, shave all your body hair? Ask yeah, I'm, ag- <laughs> I'm against that because I think if you don't have body hair, you might as well just be a prepubescent child. Like, I like, I'm everyone who knows, like, you know, if you've been listening a long time, you know, I like, a, I like old porn. I like body hair on men and women. Like, bring it on. Pubes forever. I'll it is for weird, though. Not only just shave your body hair, but act like a schoolgirl named after your fucking you know daughter who's like a preteen gross it's creepy it's really creepy i couldn't even imagine that but charlene was you know the sexually subservient partner like she was into this snm thing like she was into the relationship but later in court she claimed mm-hmm. that she detested the the experience and that gerald was rough with her and particularly enjoyed sodomizing her which she said she hated but i think she actually did like it you know, I think uh, she was getting off on his machismo and partaking in these like deviant sexual situations. So it's like you said, although later she's going to try and downplay this activity, Charlene was increasingly turned on by totally. this rampant fucking behavior, especially when he would fuck her in every hole that God had given her. And soon she's going to be begging for more as well. And this more is going to lead to rape and then it's going to lead to murders. On July the 17th, 1978, Charlene helped celebrate Gerald's 32nd birthday by helping him sodomize his 14-year-old daughter, Krista. When Krista had been born in 1964, Gerald hadn't viewed her as an apple of his eye. He saw her as an apple pie that he wanted to stick his fingers in. Well, more than his fingers. (laughs) By the time he was six, he was molesting her on a regular basis. But after this brutal and horrific rape, she found the courage to tell authorities that her father had been sexually abusing her for years. But obviously, because Gerald is lucky with the law, this got swept under the carpet. That would, that would not happen today. You'd like to think it wouldn't happen today, but we can't say that for sure. Again, Gerald is white. And yeah, but he's not wealthy. I think if he was wealthy. Wealthy and white. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think it'd be fine. On one occasion, Gerald brought home a 16-year-old stripper as a surprise for his ran- uh, randy girlfriend. He did usually insist on rules with his threesomes, though. So he's, he's kind of like an old-fashioned gent with his threesomes because the two women aren't allowed to touch each other. They're only allowed to touch him, which I think is very selfish. Yeah, I was about to say, what a selfish lover there. 
yeah if you're gonna have a threesome like isn't part of the threesome with two chicks that you're gonna watch the two chicks like get it on but he's kind of like the ringmaster of this he's threesome. like charlie like, munson yeah like they, yeah. they have to do what he tells them but yeah i thought that was the whole point is watching two girls you know scissoring and then you and get to there. fuck both of them but not for gerald he also underestimated how horny Charlene was, and he left the two alone. And when he came back from his shitty job bartending, he found the two scissoring. And this arranged him, enraged him to the point that he couldn't even get a boner. Uh, he was so mad, he threw the underage dancer out of their second-story apartment building, and he beat the shit out of Charlene. So he's going to be impotent. He's going to claim impotency with Charlene for a long time. But it's funny how he's never impotent for the rapes. Yeah, no, I find that really funny. Like, he was enraged yeah. to the point of impotence. But then after that, he refused to have sex with Charlene. Said he lost his libido completely. That scissoring moment there just killed it for me. And so yeah, he said he was right. impotent. And then uh, Charlene was also suspicious of him because she thought he's sleeping with the you know people he's hooking up, you know, hooking up with at the bar. And so... She felt like he had lost his sexual relationship interest in her sexually because he was hooking up with, with people at the bar, like sluts at the bar. And meanwhile, he's like, you had lesbian sex without me. I think it's just because he's a sexual sadist and he only I think so too. gets off by force. It's a Doesn't form of control. Yeah. yeah, totally. So his impotency is going to become a recurring problem. And to solve this, and uh, Charlene's lesbian deathbed syndrome, they agreed that the only solution was to find girls that meant nothing to either of them to use and then throw away at their leisure. And so no emotional attachments would be formed. Yes, that's the only solution. Well, that sounds healthy. They traveled to Sparks, Nevada on June the 26th, 1978. Charlene picked up 16-year-old Sandra K. Butler, who was on her way to the local mall. Sparks would prove to be a great hunting ground for the killer couple, and even though her case is considered cold, as no remains or real connection to the couple has ever been proven by evidence, she is considered their first forgotten victim, and she was snatched in the daylight on a hot summer's day. You know, they were never interviewed by police who were investigating Butler's disappearance. Like, they didn't even look into it. Even though they had caught other victims in that area, they never interviewed Gerald and Charlene. And they never confessed or were convicted of uh, Sandra's supposed murder. But Butler's remains were never located either. So they, they couldn't really pin that on him because there was no body. But, you know, police yeah. always suspected foul play there. Yeah, and I think, like, free time, they've just attributed it to them. Well, they're active in that area. Yeah. On September the 11th, which is a JoJo's favorite day in the calendar year, Charlene, who was also pregnant at this point, was hunting for a sex slave in Sacramento. When she saw 17-year-old Rhonda Scheffler and 16-year-old Kippy Vaught, she knew that she had found their next play toys. She approached the two girls and asked if they wanted to smoke some pot in her van. The girls are totally up to party and they went to the parking lot but instead of finding a party, they found Gerald, who forced them into their 1973 Dodge conversion van, which had a mural of mountains on both sides. Totally cool, right? At gunpoint. Yeah, that's a total rape van. Think how successful they would be at Coachella. Oh, they would be so successful. Oh, they'd be cleaning house. Charlene drove them around town, 
and he took turns raping the bound teenagers over several hours. So this really reminded me of the Toolbox Killers, uh, Lawrence oh, yeah. Bittaker and Ray Nor- Roy Norris, who did the exact same thing. Charlene drove them from Baxter and he parked in a secluded spot in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And he let the girl, he left them all in the van telling them all to wait. So he returned several hours later. That shows you how terrified these girls were that they didn't even try to escape. And he told Charlene to continue to Slough House, Sacramento County, where she's going to drop off the van, kind of establishing an alibi for everyone. Wait, did she rent the van? No, it's their van, but they also had an Oldsmobile. Oh, so they could swap cars. I wonder if the van was all like shagged out in the back. Like, what, he, what was he fucking oh. on, raping on? He had a ma- he had a mattress. Oh, just a dirty mattress in the back on the floor of the yeah, van. Yeah, just like the toolbox killers. So, I mean, what comfort was at least part of their worry? We need a mattress. Ugh. Gross. Charlene obviously did as she was told, and when she returned back to the woods where um, Gerald and the girls were waiting, uh, they all got into the backseat of the Oldsmobile. Who knew what Gerald had like said or did with Rhonda and Kippy during this time? But I doubt there was like any campfire sing-alongs. It was probably horrendous for them. Oh, but I'm this- sure he was entertaining them with an intellectually stimulating <laughs> discourse on a wide range of topics, like from the socio-political impact of the Cuban Missile Crisis to like the role of compilation calls in rhesus monkey mate selection. There's so many what? options. Why did you have to bring monkeys into this? You know, I hate them. You never know. I mean, I don't know, you know, the topics that Gerald, you know, reads about in his, in his leisure time. He might be into rhesus monkeys. You never know. I would have left at that point. <laughs> These poor girls. I would be like, dude, just that. shut up and rape me again. Just, just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> Kill me. Whatever. Oh, God. The monkeys again. The, the copulation calls. I wonder if he Oy. did the calls. <laughs> just stop it. I'm done. Kill me. <laughs> The couple had been arguing for hours. It's no surprise. And eventually Charlene pulled over so that they could continue their screaming match at the side of the road. And they're so involved in their fight that they had forgotten that they had two terrified teens in the van. And it was only when they realized that they had left the bloody doors wide open that their panic set in. Thinking that the girls might have escaped, they rushed to find them exactly where they had left them inside the van. Both were obviously shit fucking scared to move mm. or make an escape like frozen in fear exactly the, uh, fuck it my heart goes out to them oh gerald uh raped them one last time and then he forced the girls to march into a nearby field so he first struck kippy with a tire iron in the face brutal before doing the same and then beating ronda after savagely beating them, he took out his twenty-five caliber pistol and he shot Rhonda execution style in the head. But he had made a blunder shooting Kippy because the bullet had only lightly grazed her skull and it didn't blow her brains out. And she made an attempt to get up and flee. As she, this is like a movie scene because she's desperately trying to crawl away across the field and he just went back and he fired three more bullets into her head. It's like a Rob Zombie Devil's Rejects moment. Yeah, and he murders her execution style you know charlene was watching the whole time totally wet her panties were like soaked through yeah and she, she even told a cellmate later how ecstatic she felt watching this crime oh she's like sadie Bank glutz isn't she oh she was totally getting off on this 
So yeah, like you said, she was totally into this murder and the couple are now tied and doomed together. They're also now legally married because they got married in Reno and they're going to settle into married life. Gerald worked as a driver for a meat distributor, which is a perfect job for him. <laughs> perfect Charlie... serial killer job. Meat. <laughs> meat is meat murder. Meat distributor. <laughs> and Charlene worked in the office for another distributor. Gerald forced Charlene to have a late-term abortion at this point rather than, like, have a baby to spoil their fun. By June of 79, Gerald was restless again. He wanted new sex slaves, and uh, he had figured out the best place to go and get them was the Waso Country Fair. Waso, Waso, Waso? I have no idea how to say that. I'm thinking Washo. (laughs) We'll go with Washo. 14-year-old Brenda Judd and 13-year-old Sandra Cooley were almost out of the fairgrounds and on their way home when Charlene stopped them. She used the ploy of needing um, help handing out advertising leaflets in the parking lot, and she, you know, she's going to give them a couple of dollars for their help. She's kind of like so. Catherine Burney used a lot of these similar techniques to get people into to lure women into the car. So did Ian and Myra. Why yeah. don't you come to the mars with me? I left a glove there. Uh, it's just a, it's easy to convince children to do what you want. I can understand when there's drugs involved, but just some of these like, hey, I need some help handing out leaflets. I'd be like, you can fuck off. Eat a dick. Not doing that. Yeah, but if you're like, I'm going to give you five bucks and you don't get any pocket money, you'd be like, oh my God, five bucks. That can buy me like 500 Panda Pops. I'll do it because you're an innocent kid. I imagine they would have been really successful with like teenage dudes because Charlene was kind of hot. They're both kind of hot. I think Gerald could have done some of the stalking as well and, like, done well. Yeah, but I don't think a woman, like, a teenage girl would trust some dude, even if he was attractive. No. I think he'd be suspicious. But a teenage guy, Charlene pulls up and, like, hey, why don't you get in the car? I got some weed. Or you can help me pass out flyers and just show a little bit of nip. I'd be in that car. <laughs> Is that what would have worked for you? She, fuck yeah. <laughs> She's hot. D. Simon was found dead near Bay City, Michigan. But he got to see some nipple. He got to see some nip as his last present. So the girls are obviously going to agree. And she said, let's go and get the leaflets from the van. And we all know what happens next. Gerald was on the scene, a hammer and a shovel in the van waiting for them. They drove east on the um, I-80 for a while. They headed toward Mustang. I must say I love all the names of these old west, like California, Nevada towns, like Sparks, Mustang. It's just like something very cowboy about them. As Charlene drove on into the night, Gerald took his turn raping the teenagers, but so did Charlene, who raped both of them as well. Yeah, I read that Gerald would just kind of rest, lay back, and then watch Charlene force the girls to perform sexual acts on each other. Yeah, he doesn't mind now, does he? Yeah, no, he's into it now. in this. Before sunrise, uh, Gerald had dragged Sandra up a dry stream bed and caved her pretty face in with the shovel. Charlene later said in court that the noise of the shovel hitting her face sounded like a loud, loud splat, like a rock hitting hard mud. And the girl sank to her knees and she slowly toppled over on her face. It's fucking sad, man. She's like Ugh, a young Very teenager. descriptive. He killed me. Yeah, it's descriptive. And she's she's obviously reliving it too. I always think whenever the killers are on the stand and they ask him about the thing, it's kind of like porno to them. Yeah, I was about to like, say, oh, do I you think... talk about it again. Do you think her panties are wet on the stand? 
Yeah, I think she was like, that was a great memory for us. <laughs> he killed Brenda in a similar way, and then he dug a large pit. He put the two naked girls in it, and he covered them up in a layer of rocks. Just like the other victims, these girls were also listed as runaways. And these were actually only identified when their remains were found in November of 1999, which to me seems recent, but I know it's like 25 years ago. Yeah, but somewhat recent, if you think about it. It's like, you know, what, 20 years after the murder? A little less. So the couple returned to Reno. They cleaned out the van. Gerald insisted on keeping the hammer and the shovel as murder mementos, although Charlene was always like, get rid of it. And they would soon return to their hunting ground of Sacramento. Have you seen any pics of the van? Because I, I mean, it sounds like a total rape van. It's got mountain murals on the side. You said it's got a mattress in the back. I couldn't find any pictures of the van, but I did find pictures of the Oldsmobile. Hmm. So we'll, we'll search uh, high and low on Reddit to try and find pictures of the van. Back then in like the late 70s, 80s, you could have one of those, you know, vans with a mural oh, on the side and people would be like, sure, I'll get in, get in the back. Why not? Whereas now I think people are a little more wily. I don't think if you went up to, you know, a group of millennials or um, Gen Zers and were like, hey, why don't you get into my mural? I guess if there was a, a mural, if the mural was of like Bad Bunny, as Frank I mentioned Ocean. before, or Frank Ocean, <laughs> that might work. But if it was just like some generic van with mountains you know, some pastoral mountain countryside mural, I don't think it would work, especially if it was a rusty van. I've always wanted a van with a mural on the side, just like a kick-ass mural on the side of a van. Haven't you, though? Just always wanted to be that guy. I always wanted one with a unicorn. A unicorn is the symbol of Scotland, but it's also the symbol of gays. What? Gay Scotland. Yeah, gays, have not, gays are not, they have not taken the, the unicorn. They own the unicorn. They own the rainbow. They don't own unicorns. Yes, they do. Scottish people are like pulling down their kilts right now, shitting themselves in anger. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they do. It's good to anger the Scots. (laughs) (laughs) Stacey Ann Redican and Karen Twiggs, they're both 17. They're streetwise, uh, but they're not wise enough to realize that the offer Charlene made of them of free drugs and a ride in a very cool van would lead to (laughs) their deaths just like those that had met the horrible couple before them. The story goes the same. Forced and raped at gunpoint, killed with a hammer and a shovel, and left in a lonely grave in the middle of nowhere. Except that this time, Gerald had made Charlene check the graves before they left the crime scene, and Charlene had insisted that the girls were alive. Gerald said that they couldn't be, and so they left. On July the 27th, 1980, picnickers... They came for a a tasty picnic snack 20 miles outside of Lovelock, Nevada, and they discovered the coyote-ravaged remains of Karen and Stacy. Both were determined to have been raped, beaten, and died by fatal head injuries by a a blunt instrument. Must have been a shallow grave then. Yeah, I don't think Gerald's a hard worker. I don't think he's out there, like, you know, going 12 feet deep or anything. He also doesn't really, he's not too concerned about covering his tracks. Like, he's keeping the the murder weapons. You know, it's like digging a shallow grave. It's like, you'd think you'd be a little more careful. Well, I kind of agree with the shallow grave in this area because you are in, like, fuck all nowhere. Who's going to, like, this is just luck that... Some picnickers. Picnickers. Would come along. If they're picnicking <laughs> the in the picnic- area, I would dig a deeper <laughs> grave. 
21-year-old Linda Teresa Aguila was next found. She's dead and buried alive just outside of Gold Beach, Oregon on June 6, 1980. So this is probably as north as the couple went. Sand is found in her mouth, throat, and nose, meaning that she had been conscious and trying to fight up until her final moments. Oof, buried alive. You know, I read that Linda was four months pregnant, like visibly pregnant. Yeah. So this was kind of a double abortion. That's very dark, dude. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get cancelled on this episode. How many horrible jokes have we made? I blame you. I blame you. You encourage me. July 17th, 1980, 31-year-old uh, Virginia Moschel. Moschel. Should we go for the posh version? We'll go for Moschel. She's going to be victim number seven. With the intentions of keeping her for an extended period, so this is like Catherine and David Burney, the couple had taken her to their apartment where they had removed her clothes and they had tied her up in the living room. I don't think it's Moschel. Mo- do you think it's Mochel? It must be like Mochel or something because like Moschel, <laughs> it, it almost seems like, hey, get the Moschel over here. It's about to be a bris. Yeah, we're we're we 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 we're on a time schedule here. You need to get the mo shell. Should we let the listeners decide? So it's spelled M O C H E L. Yeah, mo shell. It's like Marshall or something. I'm, I doubt it's mo shell. <laughs> mo shell. It sounds like a like a late two thousand sitcom that I would have watched on Nickelodeon. <laughs> mo to the shell to the. <laughs> Over the next several days, they tortured, raped, and humiliated the young mother at their convenience. Her suffering was so great that she begged Gerald several times during the ordeal to get it over with and kill her. He mocks her, please. She had asked how he expected her to go on living after what he had done to her. What a cunt. He dragged the process out for as long as possible, and then he eventually strangled her to death. This is the thing about Gerald, though. He's got a few different MOs. Like, he'll shoot you, he'll strangle you, uh, he'll beat your face in with a shovel, a tire iron, or a hammer. Like, that's quite unusual for a killer. He's versatile in a lot of different methods. Three months later, her body was discovered floating in a canal, a cord wrapped tightly around her neck. So next... The couple are going to take a couple. So they're kicking it up a notch. Yeah, they're like, you know, kicking things into gear. 22 years old Craig Miller and his fiance, 21 year old Mary Elizabeth Sowers, they're leaving a fraternity party on November the 1st, 1980. A fraternity brother of Craig saw the couple being forced into the Oldsmobile of a drunken, very weird couple. And he went over to the car to ask if everything was okay. Charlene, who was in the driver's seat, she yelled at him and she quickly pulled away, but not quickly enough because he managed to catch the license plate number or registration number, as we call it over here, and he wrote it down. You know, I'm surprised they wouldn't try to like conceal the license plate or go get another one and put it on top of that one. A fake one? Yeah, a fake. That's what I'm saying, yeah. like a fake one. It's just, it seems so obvious, like such an obvious way to get caught. But the other thing about this is I was wondering, like, how do they get them into the, like, how do they even meet this couple? Like, how do they get them in the car? I'm thinking Craig and Mary were probably kind of drunk, leaving a frat party, and they're just standing by the side of the road, either waiting for a ride or hitchhiking or something. And then Gerald just like, I mean, he's really brazen. He just got out of the Oldsmobile, walked up to him, you know, with a 25 caliber Beretta and was just like, get in the fucking car. 
Yeah, I think that's probably how he did it. Yeah, I mean, it's just really brazen, like in the middle of a part. I mean, it's a party right in a college town. Like the fact that he would do this like so boldly, like the guy had balls. She's going to drive them out to El Dorado County until Gerald told her to pull over. He forced Craig out of that horrible car and he shot him three times in the head with his twenty-five caliber. He leaves Craig dead in the dirt and dust. Um, they return back to their apartment and they took Mary Beth into their bedroom. Charlene sat, she watched television as Gerald raped Mary Beth. He got bored of raping her eventually, and then Charlene drove them out to Placer County, where he took Mary out of the car, and he shot her at point-blank range three times. Oof. This last murder is going to be their end game. The FBI apprehended the couple quietly on November the 17th, 1980, when they attempted to pick up a wire transfer that Charlene's parents had sent her at Western Union. The parents were wiring her money because she was pregnant again. Yeah. We're going, to talk, we're going to talk about that child as well. So they had been identified by the frat bro and the 25 caliber bullets found in Craig Miller's body that he'd never bothered to bury because he'd been, di- he'd been discovered by the time he went back to try and go and bury him. They matched those that Gerald would shoot into the ceiling at the bar that he worked at. <laughs> Very American. <laughs> he must have been a popular employee. <laughs> Woo-ha! <laughs> When appraised of the allegations against him, Gerald had pleaded not guilty on the charges of kidnapping and murdering Mary Beth Sowers and Craig Miller. The pregnant Charlene, knowing full well that it was time to abandon ship, agreed to a 16-year prison term, which was the minimum that she could be sentenced for in first-degree murder in exchange for testifying against her spouse in a court of law. Well, that makes sense. She'd take a plea deal here. It's probably the only chance she has. Well, it's the same with Kala Hamulka. Like, Kala yeah. Hamulka is guilty as hell. I mean, she ate out her sister's fucking dead pussy on video camera, but she wants to be free, doesn't she? Like, they're clever. That's the thing. They're opportunists. Yeah. Charlene's also going to strike a similar deal with Nevada authorities. She pled guilty to the second-degree murder of Karen Twiggs and Stacey Redican, receiving the same sentence. Authorities in California were not happy with the plea bargain and they tried to have it withdrawn. But in late 83, a Sacramento County Superior Court judge, he dropped the charges against Charlene and the Miller and Sowers death so that the courts went after Gerald with full on force. Charlene offered vivid recollections of their collective savagery and a jury easily found Gerald guilty as all hell. And he was sentenced to death for the murders of the college couple. I can't imagine a jury being any like having any sympathy for Gerald. Maybe for no. Charlene because she's pregnant, but Gerald, you're not going to have sympathy for him. And his like his trial, I get into it a little bit, but his trial was a total farce. I would like to see like def- defense diaries break down his trial because I think it would be hilarious. Nevada threw another death sentence at him a year later for Stacy and Karen. So on January the 1st, 1981, an incarcerated Charlene gave birth to a son, Gerald um, Armand Gallego, Gallego Jr., who would go on to be raised by her parents. So I couldn't find any information about him, although you did, and we're going to talk about that later. So that seems to suggest that maybe he didn't follow in the same course. I'm amazed that she would name her son after her. After uh, this cunt. After Gerald, yeah, who she had just snitched on. Like she just rolled over on this guy, and yet she's still naming her son after him. 
this and horrific, to... violent murder. Yeah, and she's trying to prove that she she was like a victim in all this whole situation. So Charlene is released in July of 1977, also the year that Madonna released the song Frozen, which is a great song. And she went back to her maiden name, Charlene Williams, and she's going to start declaring her innocent innocence like she's Carol Ann fucking Fugate all over this place. I don't know. She, at this point now, she's trying to maintain that she was the victim. Like she's aligning herself with the victims, the people that she actually murdered, that she helped Boo-hoo. murder and got off on murdering them. So yeah, she served 16 years, completed her sentence, and she was, she was released. And while in prison, she was on her best behavior. She studied psychology, business, and Icelandic literature, of oh, all things. Weird. Um, during an interview, she claimed that she was a victim. She was as much of a victim as the actual victims. She said, this is the quote, there were victims who died and there were victims who lived. It's taken me a hell of a long time to realize that I'm one of the ones who lived. Fuck off. And she even claimed, like, did she get the gall to claim that she tried to save some of their lives? How? Fuck off. Exactly. Ugh. According to Charlene, if she hadn't gone along with it, her name would have been added to her former husband's long list of victims. Although she, and she alone, had lured most of the girls to their death, she refused to take any responsibility for her actions. She also glossed over the fact that she had been a willing participant in more than one rape. It was only when the excitement wore off and the reality of prison set in that she distanced herself from the crimes to which she had been like part of. I'm surprised she didn't turn to God like they always do. Suddenly she becomes one of the victims. It's gross. She wasn't the only one proclaiming her innocence because Gerald also proclaimed his innocence. (laughs) And he he appealed to the Nevada Supreme Court that his constitutional rights to represent himself at trial were violated at his penalty hearing. By the way, he did represent himself, which allowed the learned prosecutors to catch him in countless inconsistencies. He even put himself on the stand and he cross-examined Charlene for six days, which I feel in my mind was far play and pawn to them. Yeah, he tried you, to... I think they both got yeah. off on that. Totally. That would also never be allowed in Britain. I'm just putting that out there. You wouldn't be able to do that over here. I don't think they would do that in this day and age either. Well, in the maybe US, they maybe. I'm not sure. America. He tries to undermine her credibility, offering as evidence a love note that she had written him after they had been captured, and he portrayed her as an unstable drug addict, and he forced her to admit to a lesbian affair that she had been having while she was in jail awaiting trial. Like, she got (laughs) locked up and just started eating box. I mean, she must have loved prison, if you think about it. Yeah, it was her scene. It worked out well for her. I'm surprised she didn't want to stay longer. On the final day of the trial, he reached his main argument. He said of Charlene, isn't the bottom line of your deal to blame both these murders on me to save yourself? And Charlene angrily answered, no, it's not. Yeah, right. All love was now kind of lost between the pair. I mean, if you think about it, he would have done the same thing to her. I'm surprised. I'm sure he was saying that, you know, either she was just as guilty as he is or she was the mastermind of this operation. He was just following along. It's like Charlie Starkweather and Carla on uh, Fugate. Yeah. Eventually, Charlie started turning on her and saying, like, she just did it all. She wanted me to kill her family. But I think that works more for the female counterpart than it does the male. 
Well, yeah, because females never get the same kind of treatment that men do in the court system, ever, ever. You'll be pleased to hear that the Nevada Supreme Court rejected his appeal and he died in Nevada Prison System's Regional Medical Center of Rectal Cancer, which had spread to his liver and lungs on July the 18th, 2002. He was finally getting a birthday present that he really deserved. The medical director described the rapist murdering cunt as a very quiet individual. He was very reasonable about no extra treatment or resuscitation efforts. He had no final visitors, no final statements, and he died alone whilst heavily sedated. Where, where do you think he's buried? So usually when you die in prison you're, and nobody claims your ashes or your like remains, you're buried on, on prison toilet. grounds. Oh, <laughs> you just get flushed. <laughs> No, you, he'll probably be on... So it makes sense to bury on prison grounds because then no death hags like myself can come and knock in. Compose like, all sexily you. on the grave. Uh, what are you saying about me? What <laughs> I'm you just saying about saying you, you are graves? wont to do that at times. <laughs> Only on people I admire and adore, and I certainly do not admire or adore this man. In 2013, Charlene, who's never missed a media opportunity for attention, you can just look at her IMDb B page as evidence for that. She's back living in Sacramento, which I think is fucking disgusting. She was quoted about the crimes that she participated in saying, I see it every day. I always see it. It never goes away. There isn't one more than any other. They're all horrible, horrible memories. Every single one. And I bet she's wanked. She's real tortured. She said that she can't undo the past. She's determined to prove that she like belongs among the very same people who decades ago feared that they would be her next victims. That's, see, that's some... insult to injury to the, the victim's families right there. Totally. Trying to make herself out that she's as, she's a victim. She watched these like teenage girls, these 16-year-olds fucking get raped and die horrible deaths. She, and she's no, trying she to say by, that her life is just as bad. She stood by even saying to a cellmate she was ecstatic watching this girl get her head her face bashed in with a shovel. Yeah. She's Yet she's a victim too. She said, it isn't so much that I really changed. It's just so much that I was finally able to be myself. What does that mean, Charlene? I'd say that she's always been herself and being married to a sexual sadist only confirmed that part of her personality. Her whereabouts today are kind of unknown, although I, I think you've done some digging. And I hope she's living horribly. I hope she's suffering with great amount of pain. So the book that I used for a lot of this research was The The Sex Slaves Murders by R. Barry Flowers. It came out in 1995. It's a really good read. Like, I read a lot of it today. It's good. That's the thing. It's like with these fully ado couples, you know, they both complemented each other. They both complemented each other, and that's why they work so well. You know, and in the end, when they get when they, when you're faced with life imprisonment, sure, you're going to turn on each other. But she's no victim, and nor is he no. by any stretch of imagination. No, and before like we're going to get into like where she might be now and her son. But as an aside, so one of my internet friends, he's a cool cat. Well, his family actually knew Charlene and Gerald, so his dad had worked with Gerald. They'd even had like Thanksgiving dinner at their apartment. So he's about like six or seven. 
and his parents, they all sat on the fucking murder mattress in the couple's rape ban. And he says that, you know, when people always go, we never knew that they were going to be killers. He says that they just generally never knew and the couple hid it really well. Wow. That's, all you know. that, that is crazy to learn that later on. Like you, you were sitting were. on the mattress where countless girls, you know, like five girls were probably brutally murdered and raped. Yeah, and you're just having Thanksgiving dinner with them and having a laugh and having a good time. Well, it's kind of like BTK, you know? How many barbecues yeah. do you think his neighbors went at Dennis Rader's house? And you probably had no clue. Yeah. You they know, they hide it, man. They hide it. So I was looking on Reddit, just kind of trying to figure out, like, what happened to this this woman's son? Like, I mean, could you imagine? It's a mystery. Like, how are it's you going like- to have a normal life when these are your parents? Yeah, it's like the mystery of like Susan Atkins' kids or like some of the Manson kids. You're like, you do wonder like where they've ended up and what they've been getting up to. Well, someone made a post about it in Reddit and uh, nice. a Redditor responded saying that he knows this. He knows her. And he said that uh, she's not only free, she's living in Sacramento where, you know, the crimes happened and she's been scamming people with this fake charity. Until she got caught for that. But she didn't even, and uh, I guess she, you know, had to go back to prison for a little bit for it. But then when she was out, she married her attorney when she was released. And uh, he died shortly after that. But, um, and then uh, she remarried another guy who this person says is a total creep, Daniel Martinez. And they bought a house in Fair Oaks, which is a, you know, a little more affluent suburb of Sacramento. And it's this massive home. And she has this massive home in Fair Oaks, which is a nice area there. And so they, they ran this charity. That's where they made this money that takes in enlisted people's pets. So people that are going you know, off to fight the war in Afghanistan or Iraq, they would take in their pets until they get out of the military. So they were oh. fundraising, getting all this money to take care of people's military people's pets. Scammers. But what did they do with the pets? They just, it was almost like they were making a kennel at their house. And just like yeah, but scamming. did they take the pets in, or did they just take the money off the the people in the military? I think they tell took me the about pe- the pets. I think they took the pets in. Who knows how they were treated? But they definitely pocketed oh. the money that they were saving for this nonprofit. Okay, okay, it's a good um, idea though. So when she entered prison, she was pregnant, and she did have the the the, the baby. Uh, she delivered the baby when she was locked up, but the. The boy, the baby boy, was turned over to the parents to raise, some young Gerald Jr. here. Um, I guess they renamed him to Charlie Williams, which is her surname, her maiden yeah. name. And so the grandparents renamed him Charlie Williams. And I guess uh, the kid, later on, when he grew up to be 18, he went into the service. And uh, right. he ended up uh, committing suicide while in Afghanistan. And so you can find the pictures Iraq war in Afghanistan. Oh, right, right, Afghanistan. So what would that have been, 94? No, Afghanistan was like right after uh, 9-11, so like 2003. Oh, the, Actually, yeah, Afghanistan, lasted, Afghanistan lasted years. So, I mean, it could have yeah. been at any point. So uh, he ended up committing suicide uh, while in Afghanistan. And there are pictures of him floating around, and he kind of looks like a skinhead. Oh, so yeah, was, but is that not just because he's a jarhead, though, if he was in the Marines? I don't know. This person just said he was kind of, it looked like he had a skinhead mentality. 
So who knows if right. like it's from his Facebook or whatever. But okay. so Charlene goes by the name of Mary Martinez now. And so this person was saying that, uh, that he was familiar with the case, not only because he was living there in Sacramento while it was going on, but he, was, he, he went to school, like high school with two of the victims. Okay. Um, he said that his sister met Charlene and Daniel at an animal event um, that they were involved with because his sister is also part of the animal community because she does rescues. And so Charlene pitched her story about this whole charity for enlisted military members, and she was really charming. And so they didn't have any clue that she was Charlene Gallego. They just, you know, thought she was Mary Martinez. And so they ended up, uh, his sister invited them over for Thanksgiving dinner to talk about the charity. And so they had Thanksgiving dinner with Charlene Gallego. Well, she really loves, she loves Thanksgiving murder. She loves raping and like watching teenage girls dies. That's like in her top, like three things. Could you imagine realizing this like years later? Like, wow, we just invited her into our home. Wouldn't it like, I'm not saying it would be cool, but obviously I love like death, murder, true crime. It'd be something I would be on all the shows talking about it. But so ah. she, she's in tons of shows. If you like IMDb, she's in. She never misses an opportunity. If she, if somebody wants to interview her, and I bet she charges big bucks. Maybe she, dick. maybe we should get her on our fine program. Let's People, try. This is episode eight ninety one here. Sticking around. Got a couple phone calls coming up next. Three two three five two two four zero three two is that number. But first, here's a brief message from Adam and Eve. Hey guys, it's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Logaric's disease got pretty bad, let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code Diddle, D-I-D-D-L-E. I am now a new man. Thanks. So we got a couple phone calls to get to. People, you can call the Sick Wrong Hotline at 323-522-4032, or you can send us uh, an MP3 via email, sickandwrongpodcast at uh, gmail.com. I think the, uh, the important thing here is we want to hear from you. So uh, send us a message. Tell us a story. Uh, this first call we have here is uh, someone checking in for, with us that we haven't heard from in a while. Epic Farter. Nice. Ah, Dean Kate. Epic Farter here. Just ringing you from the lakeside. I'm doing a fishing for a few days. Even though somehow I seem to have slipped my disc in my back. But luckily it enables me to take lots of drugs, painkillers, so I've got all sorts going on, codeine. You think he's trying to autofillate? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> hey man, you gotta be careful, it's risky. Um, How would you know? Tramadol, which is, <laughs> I think, is morphine. So, yeah, I'm buzzing. Um, just wanted to ring you and thank you very much for your advice, especially Kate, um, with regards to women on the dating apps and stuff. Um, I've met this girl who's sort of 
20 minutes from my house. Do you remember what you said? Yeah, I probably just said, like, just go for it, bro. Like, just say, are you, are you DTF? <laughs> you know what I think it was? I think he was, like, friend-zoned because he would, like, chat with them, you know. For too long. For too yeah. long. And you just got to be like, yo, let's meet up for a drink because if we keep this going, we're going to be, like, besties. And I don't want to be besties because I want to stick my dick in you. Because I'm so, DTF, yeah. Yeah. So I think you will probably, like, get to the point. Yeah. And don't fart. Just don't fart until you've dated them for a few months. Um, she's lovely. Really cool. We chatted for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I dropped in the date request pretty quick. We met. Got on really well. Um, she's, yeah, she's really down to earth. Um, met up again. She sucked my plums. <laughs> um... <laughs> Wait, is that a like a is that like a regional thing to say? Suck my plums. <laughs> what does That's that mean? That's pretty forward for a second. What what do you think your plums? Like she are? sucked his sucked his balls. Yeah, <laughs> I think she sucked his dick. <laughs> yeah, but it, okay, but plums specifically are referring to balls, right? Wouldn't that be weird if like a chick on the second date was like, didn't ever give you a? Fl this is maybe a question for JoJo. Like, what if a chick, like, didn't ever fully suck your dick, but just, like, just got all into your balls? W would you see them again? What would be going on? Well, like, did I get off? Like, did she at least, like, give me a hand job, or did she just suck my balls No, and she leave? just went full on balls. That is weird. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's I never the first place, like... I will go there, but it's like, a, I'm not like willingly going there straight away. Do you know what I mean? You're not like, the first thing, you're not just putting both the balls in your mouth? No, because like most, like men, men's balls are sweaty, aren't they? They always have that like sweaty ball taste and you put it in your mouth and you're like, yeah, they're balls. It's yeah, not like balls taste fresh. Spray some cologne on it. It's fine. Sometimes men go too ham on the uh, cologne on their balls. It does. Like it can burn. Limbs. It can burn, especially when you shave. Well, that's good. Uh, you know, uh, Epic Farter got his, uh, got his, his plums, plums sucked. sucked. We've met a few times. We've been getting jiggy. Um, I think I give it a little bit too much, though, um, <laughs> the other week, because that's when my back went. So I'm showing my age. Oh, dude. my God, he put his back out fucking. Yeah, I think, well, Epic Farter is the same age as me. He's like late 40s. Will that happen to you? You slip a disc, fucking. I've I've never had back issues from fucking. What? Maybe knee issues? No, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I'm at the point yet where I've had uh, any kind of like physical ailments as a result fucking. of fucking. But it sounds like he was doing a lot of fucking. So, in a short space of time, especially yeah. if you're out of the game and then come back into the game. That's probably, and I'm sure he didn't stretch properly beforehand. I always do my stretches before I get to <laughs> before I get to boning my my pre-sex stretching. You got to do that, epic farter, especially at it our age. It usually involves like praying and being grateful that <laughs> there's anyone there. <laughs> With me, it's a good cry that lasts about ten minutes, but then I'm ready to go. You know, touch my toes. Let's do this. <laughs> um, and it's obviously my back's been not waiting, not ready for it. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to thank you guys for the advice you gave me. Um, and yeah, she's no tire kicker. I even said to her, I don't want no tire kickers. I've even put it on my profile now.
Wait, what? What's that mean? This is not, he's using so much oh. jargon that I don't even. I'm not even familiar. What's a tire kicker? Well, I was up to all the jargon until tire kicker. That must be a southern phrase. That I don't know. Maybe that means like a tire kicker is that I don't know, like a fatty, like a fatty you kicked a tire. Like, I don't think he literally means she goes around and kicks tires. No, no, no. It's definitely southern or oh, midland slang. I don't know. Brits slide into my DM and tell me what a tire kicker is because we don't we don't say that up north and we don't say that in Scotland. Can so. I describe you as a tire kicker? No, because I don't know what it means yet. Okay, Maybe if well, it's cool, you can. Once Epic Farter lets me know what that means, I'm going to start <laughs> using it. Um, but yeah, it's great guns. Met a girl, really nice. She doesn't mind me farting. She's funny. <laughs> That's good. Um, and yeah, so... How did you figure that out? Like, when did you... I want to Epic Farter call back and let us know how you introduced her to your anal emissions. I think he just goes for it. Because wouldn't you, if you're if you're an epic fart early in the relationship, you have to let the let the yeah. But I mean, I'm not doing it on the second date. I'm not doing it while she's got my plums in her mouth. I'm probably going to do it at a (laughs) at a time that would work. So I mean, were you guys like, you know, watching the telly, and then uh, you just let one rip and she laughed? Yeah, or was she kicking a tire and you just were like, oh, well, look at this, lift your leg up, rip one. Like, I I just want to know how it happened (laughs) that you got her indoctrinated her to your your anus <laughs> i'm still trying to do it for with kate and it's just not working it's never gonna happen please don't <laughs> that's what you think no i'm a, I'm also I'm a victorian a lady I will, I will get up leave the room put on my shawl and i will walk across the moors writing poems about what went wrong <laughs> in the fog <laughs> I, you know, I've never been, I don't think I've ever had a relationship where it's comfortable farting in front of uh, my significant other, vice versa. I don't think I've ever been in a relationship where either one of us would do it, you know, willingly. I think it's happened where it it's an accident for sure. So just it happens when it's an accident, but then you just, pret- I'm always like, why is there a duck clapping in the room? Like I just heard a duck clapping. Oh no, I'll call attention. I don't think I've heard you accidentally do it, but if I did, I'd be like, Was that a fart? I'll definitely I'll be call like, attention. No, it was a duck clapping and there's a duck in the room and we must find this duck. I'd be like, Do you have a duck in your asshole? Because something just farted. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Also got a, a death at work story to read about. So yeah, I just wanted to say thanks. Um, really appreciate it. Even though you're miles away. Um, you still give some really good advice and you help me with my life. So love you guys. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you, Epic Farter. I'm, He's you know, Mazel Tov. I think it's great that you met a girl that uh, you dig and that you're into and she kicks tires. I think that's awesome. <laughs> me too. You know who else, randomly? I thought about them this week. I was like, we haven't heard from them in ages and I love his calls. Twisted Firestar. Where's Twisted Firestar? What's going? Because he's at like the southern tip of the country. Like, I want yeah, to know what is happening down south. We haven't heard from Twisted Firestar in a bit. So, yeah, I'd love to hear that. You know, what I like about this call is it actually shows you that uh, the Ask Kate segment, which doesn't <laughs> happen all that often, sometimes actually works. Yeah, if you just ask the girl if she's DTF, like JoJo doesn't even ask. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> JoJo knows that technique. All right, well, Epic Farter, wish you well. Good to hear from you. Uh, Second call we got here is from a guy who had a bit of an adventure on YouTube. 
Okay. I was um, going down a little YouTube rabbit hole for um, early 2000s indie bands, and one of my absolute favourites was by a band called Stella Star, and they had a song called My Coco. <laughs> Wait, you know this song? Yeah, the early 2000s, I actually saw Stella Star live, but their big song was My Coco, which is like a kind of like indie pop. I, I looked it up. I looked it up and I got it right here. I, you know. Oh, you're going to play a bit of my, go on, play my Coco. Yeah, It'll yeah, totally no, I have it. Because you're my Coco. <laughs> I've never back. heard this band ever. Really? I saw them live. Uh, New York, New York band. It's a male and female singer. Yeah, she played bass. Very 2000s. What's he talking about by Coco Go? It's either drugs or it's a girl, isn't oh. it? Come on. <laughs> my Coco. So what happened to that band? I never even heard of them. Missed well, that I one. think they were like a one hit wonder. But if I remember rightly, My Coco was either track five or track nine on the CD. Because there were a lot of good, it was a good album, but the, that was like the standout song. But they must have been their single. That's so funny that this guy is ringing in talking about that song. My Coco. Um... My go go go. And they were the first band I ever saw live with my friends. I paid money. I wonder if you guys were at the same show. I don't know. I would love to know. He does kind of sound a bit northern. He's got the uh, flat vowels of a northerner. And he's also speaking really quietly when he's stoned like a northerner. So maybe we could have been. Mm. But I yeah. saw them at. I can't remember if it was Leeds or Reading Fest I saw them, but I also did see them on tour. Okay, so you saw them in like a club show too? Yeah, I paid to go see Stella Star, but they were also with, I think it was Franz Ferdinand, and I saw like a five-band lineup that was really fucking good, and it was like Stella Star, Franz Ferdinand, uh, the other ones. Oh, God, what were they Is called? Stella Star also a Scottish band? No, Stella Star from New York. Oh, they're American. Yeah, I've never even heard of this band. Totally How would you have? I don't know. I was you only probably... liked metal at this time. Yeah, but I was DJing at this point. This would have been what, like 2005? No, this is like 2000-ish. Yeah, I was DJing at strip clubs then. I'm surprised I never came no across the song. No stripper is dancing to Stella Star. This is like, what, do you think strippers were dancing to the horrors in America? A cool one. Like, I, I had, there were some girls that would dance to like Jesus and Mary Chain and things like that. This is more like what? Were strippers dancing to the Von Bondies? Yeah, there were a couple girls that played Von Bondies. Oh, they were well, fucking cool as shit yeah. because I, Von Bondies is still one of my all time favorite bands. And also, it was just Jason Stolzheimer's 45th birthday. Just to. Was that the lead just... singer? You know, I remember. Yeah, Jason. I remember he dated my roommate, Christy. And uh, during that period, he got the shit kicked out of him by uh, the guy from the White Stripes. 
Yeah, Jack White. Well, I want to do a show about early 2000 beefs. And that's one of the beefs I want to cover because I'm totally team Jason. I, you Jack know, White I didn't fuck off. I honestly, like I saw that band a few times and we hung, the guy was over at our place all the time. I just didn't really but, know. I didn't really like the band that much. It wasn't really my, you know, cup of tea. I hated the White Stripes too. It's just that sound in Detroit. Oh my I God, no. Never, Von Bundy's I, are one of the greatest blues rock bands of all time. He at the time, I got to say at the time, I didn't appreciate it. Years later, I, I think I was more into it. it. We went to a bunch of their shows. I just thought there were other bands in the scene that I liked a lot better, like the Gories or the Demolition Doll Rods. There's some b- just better bands. Flat Laughing Duo Hyena Jets. is way better. Yeah, Flat, Flat Duo, Duo Jets, Jets, way better. But, but the Von Bundy's are different. They're like just more traditional blues rock. They're just, they're different. I love He was the cool, Von though. Bundy's. He was cool. He's a bit younger. I'm not that much younger than Christy, actually, but he was cool. And uh, we used to hang out, but I remember he showed up and he's like, his eye was fucking black and he had like a big cut in his lip. And I was like, whoa, dude, you got the shit kicked out of you. One and of my he said top... it was Jack White. And I was like, well, that's funny. One of my top five favorite bands is seeing, uh, I've definitely talked about this on the Patreon, seeing Von Bundy's at uh, the Scala in London. It was fucking best gig ever. Loved it. Got on stage. It was so good. Are they even still around? Kind of. Jason Stolheim is still going, but he's an estate agent now. He like sells. But they were gonna do a big tour, and then the pandemic came along because we Goldie Dawn, where I was needling, I was needling Goldie Dawn into supporting it, but then the pandemic came. So I should ask my friend if she still has his number. Oh, what? So well, I've messaged him a few times on Instagram, so I don't need his number. I can just message him. It'll be fine. Get him on the podcast. (laughs) And I did myself. And they were fucking great. So I was looking for them on YouTube and I saw a comment from someone. It said something about this is press your my nostalgia buttons. I thought, oh, interesting. That's me. I clicked on it and it said co host of the Sick and Wrong podcast. I said, oh. So I thought I'll search for that then. Why not? It better be terrible. It'll be so bad that I can't stomach it for more than about 10 seconds. But then I spent like two days watching them on YouTube and laughing my head off. So, thank you. And, yeah. Goodbye. A very creepy uh, salutation there. Yeah. Oh my God, what a small world. Because... Wait. So this guy follows a YouTuber called Scottish TV. Scottish TV is a guy who has hundreds of VHSs and all of them are music based. I've been following Scottish TV for probably like 10 years and he puts up tons of stuff. But recently he put up Stella Star My Coco and that's what I commented and that's how this guy found us. Oh, is that where the nostalgia, tr- You that was your comment that he read? Yeah, and then he clicked on me because, like, you know, sometimes you'll do that. You'll click on people's comments and look at their profile and shit, and that's what he's done. Well, it sounds like he must have found sick and wrong. Yeah, because in my my profile, D, because I'm a good, you know, I'm a good social media person, (laughs) Um, on my YouTube it says co-host the Sick and Wrong podcast. So then he's gone from there because he's a YouTube addict like I am. Search oh, so did podcast. you comment on that guy's that site 
and then you said this is a nostalgic trip for me. He clicked on it, then he saw Sick and Wrong. Then he must have gone on our YouTube page and right. went through and, and listened to stuff. He's been watching all the stuff from TS. Well, I hope he listens to this episode that won't be on YouTube. Yeah, that's funny. You know, there is some. I was looking through our YouTube things recently because I've been reposting content on like Twitter and uh, uh, TikTok and all that. Yeah, TikTok I actually. TikToks. TikTok, we're doing really well. You know, I've had, a, I've had what, three things go viral on TikTok, which is crazy. He is very good at TikTok at the minute. I'm the social media manager of Sick and Wrong. Um, but hey, yeah. you're not, a, I'm better at YouTube than you are, though. My YouTube ones do better than yours. Not that it's a competition, but it is a competition. Yeah, maybe if you posted more often. I hey. post every day. I've raised our, uh, our on TikTok now. You we get like 12,000. so well. Yeah. I know. Anyway, I was going through YouTube. I was looking at some of the old videos we posted. And there's a, I don't even remember doing this, but I, I think I put up like a lot of old phone calls I did with the whack from the Wackerly era. There's some funny Harrison stuff on there too, but I put up a lot of the old phone calls and I just made like YouTube videos out of them. So I imagine that's what this guy was listening to. But there's this great phone call where this guy was saying like he was, it was really weird. Like he had been watching porn of himself and he jacked off to porn of, not porn, but naked videos of himself as a child. And he was asking <laughs> us, yeah, he was asking us if that's like being a pedo, like if that's gay. It, yeah, it's it's And we're it's like, gay. dude, why would you be jacking off to videos to of yourself boy. as a child? That's weird. It's definitely weird. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's yourself. It's is pretty gay to like even firstly get a boner around a child and then secondly whack off to said child even if it's just but self. it's you you're jacking off to you at the age of like eight that's fucked i mean we can all love ourselves to a certain degree i'm pretty sure all the greeks would enjoy that but it comes a point where it's like you're a child and then you're old and you're jacking off to yourself as a as a child, it's well. He was he was trying to argue in the call that it's not pedophilic because it's him. No, it is pedophilic. Well, yeah, and both me and Wackerly like. Well, regardless, you're fucked in the head. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was listening to it. I'm like, this is kind of funny. I forgot about this. But there's a there's a lot of gems on our YouTube page. But go follow us on social media because we're posting a lot of content uh, recently. We're everywhere. Yeah, like uh, Instagram. And uh, TikTok, which seems to be uh, blowing up for us. D is a master of TikTok. You, I know. I kind of feel have... like you know that uh, that that meme of Steve Buscemi Shemmy. with his like his baseball cap back backwards. <laughs> He's you. wearing a, has a skateboard that says, you know, music band on his shirt. I kind of feel like that guy on TikTok. But for some Your reason, T-shirt would say Frank Ocean. <laughs> but for some reason, I post videos there and I'll get over a million hits. So it's it's actually doing really well for us. So if you're on the TikToks, come follow Sick and Wrong. Uh, we got an email here. Uh, from a guy, uh, Tom, our friend in North Yorkshire. He said... Oh, that's only down road from me, North Yorkshire. Oh, my, I also add, as an aside, and I like to bring this up to upset all the Brits, that the best tea is Yorkshire tea, and you can all fuck off if you like PG tips or anything else. It's fucking Yorkshire. Yeah, and all us Americans are like, we threw your tea in the fucking ocean. And look at you now. <laughs> look at you now. <laughs> Tom writes, how many dead people 
have D and Kate Rambo gotten their phone contacts? Me? Two plus another guy who's in a coma and not likely to make it. So it might be three soon. It's, you know, it's funny. I was just like, I don't know how many. So when I was prepping this episode, I went and looked. I have five dead people in my phone. It's funny you should ask this because recently, uh, the other day, I actually went through my phone and I deleted I deleted it down to bare bones. But how many dead I must people? Have, well, I didn't think at the time. I just thought, I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you. And like I deleted it down to about seven numbers. So you so had people had, that like, were dead to you. I had people that were dead to me, a lot of them. But people not people never who necessarily shed again. their mortal coil. Some people who I hadn't talked to in so long that they might be dead. Yeah, it was weird. I was going through it and I was like, shit, Kessler's in my phone. Harrison's still in my phone. My cousin Fred. <laughs> like It was all these people that died. And I was like, wow, I got five dead people in my phone. I just, when do you, you think forget. about deleting numbers? It's not something I really think about. No, you don't. Like, occasionally, like, I used to, like, my dad's been dead, like, pretty much 10 years now, and I used to just ring his phone number just to, like, ring it. Because okay. it was one of the few phone numbers I remembered off by heart because I'm terrible at remembering numbers. But I always remembered his number for some reason. But I've I've forgotten that now. And I deleted him off my phone. I deleted him off my phone the day he died. Wait, the day he died? No, that's a little early. Why would you do it the day he died? Because I was like, I'm not going to use this again. I also deleted him off Facebook the day he died. Because I was what? like, I don't want... Because I didn't want to see... Yeah, but I didn't want to see people posting being like, rest in peace, Malcolm. I didn't want to see any of that. So I was like, I'll just delete him. And that was back in the time before you could like hide posts. Like, you know how you can do now. Was your you dad, in, was Drunk Dad into Facebook? He would post on Facebook. He used to do like post some funny stuff. And like on my, obviously before my account got deleted, uh, my old account, it would like come up with like funny things that he'd said. Now I'll never see them again. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg, for taking offense to a Jean Benet Ramsey meme. I remember just the a meme. I remember the rabbi. One of his friends, this old lady, is friends with. Um, she had a Facebook, and he. In I was when I would go visit him, he would sometimes ask me about computer shit, which I hated. I dreaded it, having yeah, to just teach yeah. him something on the computer. But he was just like, David, what is a Facebook? And I, and I was just like, um, you probably don't need to be concerned about that. He's like, yes. Sally told me about a Facebook and she said I should get one. Where can I get one? And I was like, well, it's, it's not a thing that you get. Like you don't buy a Facebook. You just sign up and make an account. He's like, let's do that. And so I remember going on Facebook and showing him how to do it. And he was just like, I can't be bothered. <laughs> just like gave <laughs> up. Like I was telling him like, you got to put a picture, you got to put your name in here. You got to, and then you go in and you do this. And so you add people as friends. And he was just like looking at it, like really confused. And he was like, I can't be bothered. And just walked away. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. <laughs> I remember my dad's Facebook picture was like him. Like, on an island somewhere that I like, you know, was not on holiday with him. None of us went on holiday with him, but he's in like Tenerife or somewhere. And what? With who? Up. Who fucking knows? I'm who my dad is in Tenerife with. 
happy. He's in Tenerife. Second it's a family. dark night. And he's just like staring down the camera. Staring it down. That's weird. I bet she's with his second family. Or uh, fourth or fifth family. I mean, like, he was a good looking man. I'm sure I have relations <laughs> out there that maybe I'd like. <laughs> anyway, uh, people, you can email the show. Podcast at gmail.com or you can give us a call 323-522-4032. We got to get out of here. Big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you helping us keep it sick and wrong every week. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Also, as I mentioned last week, I uploaded some new designs to the T Public store and we have been selling quite a few. Uh, the pervert shirt is fucking amazing. Yeah, we've been selling quite a few. So, uh, Sickeronpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Buy yourself some uh, some merch. And finally, here's Sickerong Song of the Week. I was trying to find something appropriate, something that worked with the topic of the show. And the first song that came to mind was Rough Sex by Lords of Acid, which is a hilarious song. Yeah, and it, it totally fits the theme. I kind of feel like if Charlene and Gerald were murdering teenagers and sex slaves in the 90s they would be listening to this creepy song while they were doing the murdering (laughs) yeah they're gonna listen to this song right (laughs) I, i think they would in the 90s i think they'd be some kind of industrial couple and that's it was so popular at the time and they probably would be into the s&m scene and they probably would be creepy swingers definitely although i do think uh he gives me a bit of like 70s outlaw country vibes well, I think he, that's probably what he actually, that's probably what they actually listen to. They probably yeah. actually listen to Waylon Jennings when they're doing this because that was the music of the time. And I bet you he'd probably be into that. Or, or uh, Merle Haggard, you know, being from Bakersfield. Oh, yeah. Mama tried. But I think if yes, she they were the same age in 1995, committing the same, you know, horrific crimes, they, the soundtrack probably would be Lords of Acid or Thrill Kill Cult. Yeah, we'll go with it. I'm extrapolating we'll it. there. But anyway, did you ever were you ever into that record, Lust, the first album? The debut no, album? Like, yeah, it's just a bit too it's a bit too boy for me. It's a bit too industrial. Oh my god. No, I don't they're more I would say they're far much less industrial than like Skinny Puppy or something, because it's a female singer and they're singing about like sex. It's it's definitely more like club music. That's why I I, I wasn't a huge fan at the time because I'm like it's a sort of techno club music with a girl singing about blowjobs. Like it's not, it doesn't have the edge that I like. Like with, I want the boy music. I want ministry. I want, you know, front two, four, two. I would rather listen to ministry. Yeah, but definitely. Lords of Acid, I kind of developed a new appreciation for them when I was a strip club DJ because it works so well in that scene. Because that, this album, Lust, so the song we're going to play, Rough Sex, is about, you know, sadism and BDSM. But then they have uh, the song, I Must, I Must Increase My Bust, which is a great song. And then there's um, uh, the song, my favorite, I used to play it all the time at the Gold Club, was I Sit on Acid, which is about anal sex and oral sex. You know, it's like, darling, come here, fuck me up the... It's it's a great (laughs) song. Um, So I got into them later. But I didn't know, I guess, that they were Belgian. I always thought they were I from New York. I knew they were Euro. I thought they were from, I didn't... or no, actually, yeah, I thought they were from New York and Berlin. I thought they were like from both. Yeah, those I thought cities. they were German, to be fair, but yeah, but I've 
yeah, Belgium. That's a weird one. There's yeah. fucking nothing in Belgium. Well, there's apart there's from actually some good fries. electronica bands that came out. Like Telex came from Belgium. They're good bands. Well, I mean, there's a lot of great rock and roll, but I wouldn't uh, have a thought. I think uh, Front 242, I think, is... Or, or maybe Frontline Assembly. I think they might be Belgian. But anyway, we're going to end this, the show here with Rough Sex by Lords of Acid, which came out in 1991. People will be back next week with episode 892. Till then, take it sleazy. Love is the answer.
night serenades, warm summer nights. I think about pure sex, deep sex, hard sex, rough sex. Girl! You went into the hidden mailbox on Facebook. Yeah. And then it was a message from the guy, the, a man or a woman? It was a guy, and he sent a picture of him and his wife or partner or whatever the fuck they are. I don't know. <laughs> shit. I'll read it to you. Um, yeah, I said, I just listened to episode 660, and you said you'd be interested in getting involved with a couple. We have 20 years on you, and we're both 30 pounds overweight. <laughs> but, but we like having guest cop from time to time and can't find any now that Craigslist personals are gone. I prefer Jews because they're circumcised and usually lack hang-ups. <laughs> 